Good morning. I feel incredibly honored to have the opportunity to share with you from Romans chapter 12 this morning. It's one of the more pivotal chapters in the New Testament. And in one sense, it's a breath of fresh air from the prior 11 chapters that we've been going through. For those of you who read ahead so that you've kind of got it already saturating in your mind before you get to Sunday, you probably sensed as you were reading chapter 12 that something had shifted from going from more of a theological treatise where the first four chapters are the heart of the gospel, then we went to the assurance, we just ended up the defense. Now it's a bit more normal where you get some how-tos and things like that. Now, speaking of how-tos, if you're the kind of person that likes checklists, that likes the the list of things to do, you're going to love this morning. You get to add 27 more to-dos and nine what-not-to-dos. Now, if you're a little bit more like me and the Ten Commandments is already overwhelming, not to worry, because Jesus already gave us the how to follow the rules for dummies cliff notes when he said, you can sum up the whole Old Testament laws with two things. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if we can live out the golden rule, treat others the way that you would like to be treated, it kind of covers most of the rules. Now, I've titled this message to pierce or not to pierce. Because the meat of the passage can be summarized as making a decision as to whether or not to get your ears pierced. Yes, you heard me correctly. By the time we end our time together, hopefully it will make sense. Now, in the midst of all the information in this chapter, there are going to be three key takeaways that we're going to have. The first one is going to be around this concept. What's our response supposed to be when we get hurt? When we get offended, when we feel betrayed, violated. The second one has to do with our stewardship of our gifts and the purposes for which God created us. And the third is this minor issue of surrendering to God, the piercing. I've asked my daughter, Catherine, if she would be willing to come and read our passage this morning. We're going to be reading the first 10 verses Uh, It's on page 54 if you've got your Romans journal that you've been tracking with us. If you want to use the Bible under your seat, it starts on page 947. And we'd just like you to stand, if you would, and follow along as we read the first 10 verses of Romans together. Romans 12, 1 through 10. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Thank you. Amen. Lord, we just pray that uh, what you want each of us to take away, that we would just, it would just become articulated in our minds and our spirits what you have for each one of us. We invite your spirit to come and move. And we thank you for your love and for our church. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Catherine. Well, just like a few weeks ago, I actually want us to go through this passage backwards today. So first, we're going to take a high-level look at the 27 rules of what you're supposed to do, the nine what you're not supposed to do. Second, we're going to look at the stewardship of our giftings. And then we'll get to the piercing finale at the end. Now, as I mentioned, I'm not a huge fan of more and more rules. And I think the reason why is that even if I'm getting 90% of them right, there's still like 10% that I'm doing wrong. And it just feels like it's like playing whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese. You're just always losing. There's always more to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a partial list of them right now. And I'm going to have them come up on the screen. Um, and I've organized them alphabetically because it just helped me get around my brain a little bit more. So you'll see a number before each of the things that we read. And that's just going to let you know what verse it comes from. So let's just go ahead and go through the, the verse. Uh, associate with the lowly. The first one was abhor what is evil. I'm not sure why it didn't quite populate there. Second, be fervent in spirit. Be patient in affliction. Be transformed by renewing your mind. Cling to what is good. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Let love be genuine. Love with brotherly affection. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Outdo others in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Seek to show hospitality. Serve the Lord. Think according to the measure of faith God assigned. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Use the gifts you have in proportion to your faith. Weep with those who weep. And then we've got some of the what not to do's. So what are we not supposed to do? Don't be proud or haughty. Don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be wise in your own sight. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. And don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come across, if you can leave that list of all of them up, thank you. When I come across chapters with a gazillion rules, or maybe you're doing your Bible reading and you're in Exodus or Leviticus and you just get overwhelmed, here's what I like to do. I like to just kind of sit with it for a couple seconds and just say, Lord, what do you want me to get from this massive list? I can't do all 20 today. What, is there one nugget that I could potentially have that would be relevant to me? And when I was sitting with this passage, what I've highlighted was the one that jumped out to me. On the, what should I do? Outdo 
others in showing honor. It just, I just knew that was what I was supposed to be reminded of. Now, I'm not know if, I don't know if you really kind of have a word picture that comes to mind when you think of showing honor, but you know, many of us when we were younger were taught that we are to stand up when elderly people come into a room, you know, shake a hand. Maybe for many of us men, we were taught always open the door, be a gentleman, show honor to, to, to women and ladies in that kind of a fashion. But an interesting thing happened to me uh, last January. You know, Doug, every year, the last number of years, has challenged us in January to have a word for the year that will just sit with us and kind of guide us. My word this year was actually two words, and it was Joe White. Now you might say, what do you mean, Joe White? Well, for you, those of you that don't know, he runs a camp, a whole bunch of camps, Christian sports-oriented camps called Canacuck. And we've sent for years a number of kids from our area to Kids Across America, which is one of their camps. Well, I happened to be on vacation in Mexico last January in a car with Joe, driving us back onto this kind of compound area where the hotel was. And there was a guard that was having a little challenge getting us through. And if it had been me, I would have been just powering up and irritated. And I watched Joe just honor this person. That was really kind of being a little bit of a, you know, not helpful. (laughs) And I just felt like God shone a light down. And he said, Bryce, when you grow up, I want you to look a lot more like Joe. And I just said, that's my word. So throughout the, the year, many times I've just thought, Joe, Joe White, Joe White. I want to, and if I could just do that more often, I guarantee you my family would enjoy me a lot more. And people out there that I interact with would as well. And then on the what not to do side, it was this, clearly it was don't be wise in your own sight. Just in the last couple months, I've had multiple interactions with my daughters who have basically said, you're such a know-it-all. You think you are always right. You're so, they didn't use this word, but the Holy Spirit just said, you're just so wise in your own sight, aren't you? Take it down a few notches and have some humility. So that was me. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to spend, it might be a little awkward, we're going to spend maybe 30 seconds, and I just want you to just say, God, is there anything on this list for me? And just see if he highlights something. Doug told me to wait till it was really awkward, so a few more minutes. If God has highlighted something, that might be your whole takeaway from the day. Tuck that one away. It's, it's helped me immensely in the last couple weeks, just that reminder being highlighted. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that of all the rules that are there, almost a third of them are on the same topic, just a little bit of a different shade of how to describe it. So the next slide that's going to pop up is going to have the section that are all the same. And the concept, it really just has to do with what do you do when you've been offended, when you've been wronged. And here's what the lists are. What are we to do? Bless those who persecute you. Feed your enemy. Give your enemy something to drink. Leave vengeance to God. Live in harmony with one another. Live peacefully as much as it depends on you. 
Overcome evil with good. Don't avenge yourself. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't curse those who persecute you. And don't repay evil for evil. And of course, since I was going to be speaking on this, I got a really snarky email a couple weeks ago, and I just, I just wanted to like, oh. And I just heard God saying, bless them. You don't know what's going on. It's not the end of the world. Had something happened this week where someone was in my grill, and I was thinking, you know what? I'm just going to do what the prophets did and call down fire from God. You don't know the note. <laughs> Bless them, Lord. My bad, my bad. Since there's so much in this chapter about this, I just thought it would be wise maybe to just unpack a little bit more. What's the risk when we don't obey God in this? First of all, when we hold on to unforgiveness, it actually hurts us more than the one we're trying to kind of give the cold shoulder to, doesn't it? It's our heart that gets shrunk. We are the ones that get cut off from joy. There are not a lot of bitter people that you want to hang out with, are there? So we think that it's control and power to be able to be mean back, but actually we get enslaved by it. And secondly, when we don't forgive, it's a little arrogant, if you think about it. I mean, think about the Lord's Prayer that we've probably all said hundreds of times. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then do you realize what we say? God, forgive me the way I extend grace and forgive others. Maybe some of us need to stop praying that. Remember the story Jesus told that's kind of called the unmerciful servant? He said there was a guy that ended up owing someone $100,000 and he couldn't pay it back. And in that culture, they were about to send him to debtor's prison where you're in jail in a sense and having to work it out in servitude. And the man pleaded for mercy. Oh, please forgive me. I've got a family. Help me out. And the guy said out of his mercy, he wiped out the debt. And then a few weeks later, found out that that guy that had been forgiven $100,000 debt found someone that owed him 10 bucks and he took him to the cleaners. And Jesus's point is, how arrogant. When you understand what I've forgiven you for, who do you think you are to hold on to the petty offenses in your life? But the other thing that, okay, that's a good, I'll take that. God wants us to forget it. But the other thing that's true when we don't let go, when we, when we choose to avenge ourselves and we don't want to trust God to do the avenging for us, it doesn't reflect faith in God, does it? Did you ever think that one of the ways you could express to God your trust in him is by forgiving and letting him even the score? Many times over the years when I've had a chance to share, I've talked about the influence that my uh, time on my grandparents' farm as a kid had on my life. My grandpa was an incredible mentor to me. But actually, I think my grandma might have had the most impact on my marriage and probably on me shaping up a little bit because in our young days of being married in our 20s, Melissa and I were driving back from being with my grandparents and she had this little smile on her face and she said, you know, grandma taught me something today. It's going to come in handy. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, she taught me how to tattle on God about you. She said, honey, let me just kind of talk to you a little bit. These gray men can be pretty strong-minded, strong-willed, arrogant. They always think they're right, a little insensitive. Let me teach you what I've done. 
when grandpa was inappropriate to me, I've learned to go in my prayer closet and get on my knees and go, Jesus, did you hear that? Did you see what he said? Will you just take him to the woodshed? She said, you better watch out because I'm going to start asking God to take you to the woodshed. So and look, it, it put a little fear of God in me. I'm not going to lie. But think about this. Is it time for some of us to let go of something? Is there some fracture in our families as we're about to be coming into Christmas that really it's not worth ruining the holidays over? And sometimes the greatest thing we can do in terms of expressing faith to God is go, you know what, I believe you actually exist. And if this snarky email that I got is really so horrible in the scope of life, you know how to create a little karma. I trust you. I'm not going to let this ruin my week. So, from the big list, did anything get highlighted? Like the outdo others and showing honor did for me. You got to let something go. Again, if so, you might be done for the day. But for the rest of us, let's look at the second major area. It's the stewarding of our gifts. I just want to read a couple more of the verses again. This is starting in verse 4. And he says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ... According to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, why is this so important for our church today? You know, you've heard... Over the years, many times, kind of the six essentials in the first three, gather together, connect, and serve. And look, I know during the pandemic and COVID, a lot of us, you know, got a little bit more accustomed to going to church online. I'm not saying it's a horrible thing. I'm just saying that I think it's time for some of us to get back together. See, we're not created to follow Jesus alone. We have been given gifts that are supposed to be used. And God's kingdom is impoverished when we don't bring our gifts to the table. Many of us are spectators. We're not in the game. Many of us are subs on the sidelines and we're not not relieving people. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to watch football at any point on TV in the last year. Maybe some of you watched a good one last night, right? But there's something that happens a few times a game. Usually it's in the second half. It's often either a running back that's had a bunch of plays in a row. Maybe it's a wide receiver on a long play. They stretch out and they get a little wind knocked out. And they stand up after the play. They look to the sidelines and they do this. What does that mean? It means I'm gassed. Anybody ready to come and take my place so I can get some oxygen and water? And what's interesting about football is that for every 11 players on the field, there's three or four subs on the sideline with their helmets. And what's interesting is that when someone does the tap, that's all they do when someone's on the field because the backup is hoping they get a chance to play. 
Imagine what the church would be like if we had a group of people understanding their gifts, saying, hey, you want to tap out? I'm ready. And let me tell you something. Through COVID and what we're doing now, there's some people helping with our kids that would like a tap every once in a while, a sub. I like how Paul writes in Ephesians. Again, this is one of Doug's favorite passages, and sorry I'm repeating it again, but this is Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, the faith, is not your own doing. It's, not, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So here's the question. Are you using your gifts? Or are you sitting in the stands? And I want to encourage you. We need you. The kingdom of God is impoverished when you don't bring your gifts to the table. We were created to be a family. So we've got a list Hopefully one of them will be relevant. Hopefully none of us leaves here today holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness. Let's just trust God to even the score. Extend some grace. And if we're a little too comfortable at home in your pajamas with the coffee, I want to invite you to come back. Engage. Be a part of things. But the real meat of this passage is what we're going to turn to right now. It's the first couple verses of chapter 12. The implications of how this passage starts could radically alter your life. I still remember the first time God really, you know, struck me with a lightning bolt, if you will, with this passage. I was only 12. As I mentioned, I spent a lot of my summers on my grandparents' farm. It's the only time in seven years I ever remember us taking a vacation. We went up north somewhere with one of my aunts and uncles and cousins to go fishing. And because we were super religious, we had a nice set of clothes and we went to church on a Sunday morning in the middle of going fishing for a week. It was some random country church and the preacher was preaching on Romans 12, 1 and 2. It represented a demarcation in my faith. Even as a young adolescent. And I'm hoping... It might be similar for some of you here today. This is the minor issue I started with called full surrender, the piercing. I'm going to read the verses from the translation that I learned it in because I like how it reads a little bit better than what we, we had read before, but it's close. So here's what Paul says in the New International Version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And one of the things I was always taught in reading through the Bible was when you see that transition word, therefore, make sure you understand what it's there for, right? So what he's basically saying is I just spent these 11 chapters 
explaining the incredible miracle of God's plan. Yes, we have a gazillion rules to follow, but the point is not to be patting yourself on the back for being a better Christian than someone else. The point is to realize it's hopeless. And God says, I've given you my righteousness. If you will just stop thinking it's about you being so good and you receive it, it'll change everything. But now what he's saying is, in view of that, what should your response be? Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you some pictures of what it looks like. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Norflett spoke at our men's breakfast. And at the beginning of it, he did something a little bit out of the ordinary. We were given a blank sheet of paper and a pen. And he said, as I start, I want you all to sign your name at the bottom of the page. It's a little weird. He goes, all right, that's your contract. How about that, huh? You might say, what are the terms? And he says, that's the point. God gets to fill in the terms. Your job is to say, I'm here and I'm available, whatever you say. I have no plans of my own. I'm at your service. I've already signed the contract. You tell me where to work for how long, and I'll do it. I'm committed to anything. That's one picture of offering your body as a living sacrifice. Here's another picture, and I want to give a disclaimer. I mean absolutely no disrespect to the military. I thank those of you who serve, the veterans. I've got a son in the Navy today. But when I thought as a younger person about signing up to go in the military, one of the biggest reasons I was not wanting to do it is I didn't want to give up control. It felt to me that to join the military, I would be basically saying, I don't get to determine what I do. I'm serving at the pleasure of my commanding officer. And right or wrong, the word picture that comes out of Forrest Gump is kind of about what it felt like to me. Remember when he goes, I was really good at the military. All I had to do was what they said. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. Now, that might sound fun to some of you, but, you know, as an American, as a, as a you know, the, the, the second verse says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. What does our world tell us about being happy. I was talking to my daughter a couple weeks ago. She was telling me about a book she was reading called, I think it's The Psychology of Money. And as she was describing the thesis of the book, this is what I heard her describe. The happiest people in life are people that feel a sense of autonomy and control over their circumstances. And the more money people have, the more ability to control their circumstances they have. Therefore, if you want to be happy, try to be rich because rich people will be happy with control. I mean, that's, I think, a lot of what gets communicated to younger people today. And I said, you know, it's interesting because I've been to some countries that are pretty poor and seen a lot of smiling faces. And I've been around a lot of rich people with choices who are strung out on drugs and anxious and can't sleep and they're divorced. Like, I don't think it's as simple as that, right? But that's a lot of what our world says. It's no small thing to think about offering your body as a living sacrifice. Here's another picture. Abraham offers up his son Isaac. Remember, the promise came through Isaac. He doesn't even have him until he's, I think, in his mid-80s and his wife Sarah's, you know, really old. Now when his son is 14, God says, I want you to go sacrifice your son to me. 
So he's like, hey, Isaac, go and camping this weekend. Let's go on a hiking trip. And they start going, by the way, we're going to worship God when we get to the top of the mountain. And as they're getting up there, he goes, hey, pops, this is all fun and so, but I think you forgot the sacrifice. Where's our lamb? Oh, God will take care of it. Shocker of all shocks when he figures out it's you. Trust me, son, just let me strap you down here on the, on the wood. And it says this. The knife was raised. He's about to slam it down and slay his son. And God shouts, stop. Now I know your heart is completely devoted to me. I've got another plan. Here's how the author of Hebrews describes what's going on in Abraham's brain. This is from verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Well, that's a picture of offering yourself as a living sacrifice. I believe that whatever befalls me, God could raise me from the dead if he needed to. Now, why would anyone want to do that? Why would any of us freely decide to offer ourselves to God fully? Well, Jesus had some fun parables that kind of gave his perspective. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found, covered it back up, then in his joy... He goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. And I think what Jesus is saying is that if you actually get the concept of of the miracle of my righteousness being imputed on your behalf through faith, when you really figure out how much I love you and want the best for you, it shouldn't be this arduous sacrifice. It should be a, what? who better to trust than my daddy? But Jesus also has, at different times when he's talking to his disciples, raised the stakes of following him. This is from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Hmm. Pick up my cross. Picture Jesus dragging that cross out to where he was crucified. Die on your cross daily. Offer yourself as a sacrifice. So what's involved? Here's the last picture. Earlier in the series, Stacy referred back to the very first verse of the book of Romans. He says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus. This concept comes from the Old Testament. See, God told Moses to tell the Jewish people When you get in a situation as one of his chosen people that causes you to become significantly indebted and you need to become a servant to pay off the debts, here's how it's going to work. This is from Exodus 21. 
a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. In other words, after six years of working it off, you get to file for bankruptcy and go free. But if at the end of that time, the servant says, I love my master, my wife and children. I love the life I have under your umbrella. I don't want to go free. I choose to stay with you. Then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Now what's an awl? And all is uh, like a punch. And there's a couple pictures there. The, the long squiggly one is apparently found from around the era of when Moses would have been given the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, a little thicker than the kind of stud piercing many of us get done today. Probably not as thick as the dimes or quarters. You see some large, you know, holes in ears. But it's probably pretty painful. Now, I'm sure that God is thrilled when we gather for worship and he hears us singing, I adore you, you know, joy to the world, the the Lord has come. Some of us raise our hands in worship, and I'm not trying to discount that at all. But we get a new twist on worship in this verse, don't we? He says this, your true and proper worship is to do this. Pierce your ear. Make a decision to say, For the rest of my life, I choose to live under the umbrella of your life. You, God, are my my master. So this is chapter 12. We've covered a lot. We had that list of all the do's and don'ts, right? And the question was, did anything get bolded in yellow for you. But since a third of them talked about one issue, about forgiveness, the second one was, do any of us have something that God's just, you just know, he wants me to let it go. Maybe some of you have been conniving how you can really put the screws to somebody. I know what I'm going to put in their stocking to show them. Is it time for you to deal with some unforgiveness or bitterness? Maybe your takeaway is to learn how to tattle. Try it out for a couple weeks. See if God shows up and puts someone to the woodshed without you having to lift a finger. The third one, I think, you know, maybe this is a little more for those of you watching online. I think some of us, look, we have lots of people that call Grace their home church. And I know many of us are maybe coming two or three times out of a month. And I know life is complicated. You got six kids. None of us want you to get us all sick. I get that. But there's a lot more of us in the stands watching than I think God intended because he gave us all gifts. We've all got something to offer. And God's kingdom is impoverished when you don't bring your gifts to the table. But really, it all starts with the beginning of the chapter. Because you can try hard. You can, like playing whack-a-mole, you can get 80% or 90% of the rules right. But if at the core of our being, we're really not surrendered, it doesn't really work. And what I'd like to 
encourage some of you, maybe for the first time, is to say, figuratively speaking, punch my ear. I'm in. Not to me, to God. Say that to God. God, I'm in. But some of us, maybe like me when I was 12, had a pretty lightning bolt experience with God, if you will. But now we're in our 30s or 40s or 50s and we wandered a bit. And remember what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. There's just, it's just so rich. There's so many different parts of it. Thank you for Romans. It's just such a gift to not be on a treadmill feeling pressure. May every one of us leave understanding that it's your righteousness that we get by faith. But I sense that for many of us, we've been thinking that we can kind of just skate through. And you really do want our hearts. You want us to trust you. And I just pray that your spirit would apply what you want each one of us to have gotten from this. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who may be new, we always like to end our service with an invitation to come forward to pray. We have a group of people that pray before services, and they say, Lord, is there any specific kind of need or person that you really want to be nudged to come forward? And it's incredible the kind of hit list, if you will, of people who fit those. Here's what they heard today. There's someone that is either going to be online or here that needs to know the depth of the Father's love for them. Some here need to focus on the birth of Christ, not the distractions at Christmas. Someone's in need of God restoring their marriage. Someone needs healing for an ear, an ear problem, not a piercing problem, I think a hearing problem. And someone needs to remember that in this season there's joy to the world. To not get stressed, but to have joy. If any of those resonate, if you sense your spirit kind of like triggering, pumping a little bit more of your heart, I invite you to come forward. For those of you who are listening online, uh, there's a number that you're able to call in. Uh, it's a Zoom. You'll be put in a private room with just you and the person that will be praying for you. Um, hope you have a great day. Blessings.